But the narrative that matters in the scheme of things here is the narrative about every central bank in the entire world printing trillions of dollars, having printed 25 trillion last year with no sign of abatement. I am not comfortable whatsoever releasing an, an investment that I think is the premium thing to own when every currency in the world is being debased at an increasingly exponential rate. The downside is well worth risking in order to attain the upside that is theoretically possible here. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Welcome inside the Kraken's Den for the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. In this episode, Josh and myself, Dan, discuss Bitcoin dips, dumps, and sell-offs, why they happen and how to approach them. At time of recording, the price of Bitcoin was in the low 40,000s, down from an all-time high of 64,000. The following day was May 19th, 2021, when the price of Bitcoin dipped more than 50% from the all-time high into the upper 29,000s. I've personally been in the Bitcoin space for around four years, and it's one of the most incredible days I've ever seen. Our discussion rang even truer to each of us the following day when we had to put hodling into action. And yes, we both bought the dip. Enjoy. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Well, my friend, we are in the middle of a significant Bitcoin sell-off. And you and I had another topic in mind for tonight, but we decided to audible and thought we might as well talk about Bitcoin dips and dumps. We have to soothe some souls out there. There's a lot of angst. Yeah, we do. Mm -hmm. This is not the first. It will not be the last. And if you are going to build some wealth in this asset class, you need to be able to navigate these events. You wouldn't be able to, you know, call yourself a hodler if you couldn't withstand a 40% hit to your net worth over the period of three or four days. You know, that's the kind of test that really hardens the metal in this asset class and uh, really separates the men from the boys. Yeah, the hodl meme is really cute until you have to actually live it out. <laughs> I mean, the whole point of hodling is, is these moments. Everybody says, oh man, I, I'm going to buy the dip. But when that dip, subtracts 40% off the top. All of those people with all those, you know, all that cheap talk, you know, they run, they sell, they panic. Fear takes over, greed runs away. Is your money where your mouth is? I mean, is, is it ever more applicable than in the Bitcoin space? I don't think so. No. Little forewarning here too, Josh. I'm uh, working off a cold, so I will be a little bit raspy, maybe the occasional voice crack here tonight. Hold on a second. I'm going to get my mask. I'm going to put it on. Even though we're remote, we're not even within 20 miles of each other. You should. But I'm going to do it uh, in solidarity. I'm going to put it on. Come through the mic at you. Dude, this thing's legit though. So we're May 2021. The high was 64K. I think we're currently trading around 42. So we're at uh, 30, roughly 35% cutoff mark, which is no joke. I mean... In the last bull cycle of 2017, there were 
I don't know, around seven of these. And I think the biggest cutoff was, correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, but I think around 38%. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the chart right now. There were one, two, three, three different 38% drops in 17. And each one of them was followed by some consolidation, a little sideways movement. And then just roughly looking at this chart about a month, month and a half later, it reached the, the all-time high that it dropped from uh, during that bull run. Not no guarantee that that's what we're looking at here, but uh, based on just the the formation of the top on this, and I'm no technical analyst by any means. I don't think Dan or I would call ourselves that, but it just didn't feel like a Bitcoin top. It didn't have the exact just the ridiculous exuberance. It didn't have the front page of the Wall Street Journal. I didn't have every boomer I know texting me asking me if they should buy Bitcoin. <laughs> so all my indicators are still flashing. Uh, we're okay here. We've got a couple uh, what we call bellwethers at the firehouse, uh, old timers that if they uh, if they start talking Bitcoin, we're uh, thinking about taking some profits. And those bellwethers haven't yep. been barking just yet. Not yet. One of them calls Bitcoin crypto coin. That's how he that's the parlance he uses. Josh, you've been invested in this crypto coin, haven't you? In 2017, uh, around in the middle of December, he comes up to me and he goes, have you heard of this crypto coin? And I'm like, oh, you, you mean Bitcoin? He's like, no. No, crypto coin. And then just kind of smirked like, all right, this is probably the top. Yeah, and it was. That was it. it was. It was and definitely. It was. Yep. Screw technical analysis, on-chain analysis. No, we got bellwethers. Firemen between the age of 50 and 60 are the best indicators of Bitcoin hype cycle tops. I'll be on record saying that. You heard it here first, folks. That is the gauge, the meter that we measure this against. We should start a newsletter. We should do something like Willie Wu or Will Clementine or whatever his name is, the third. We should yeah. do like weekly updates about indicate firehouse indicators of where we are in yeah. the bull market. What the mumbling and grunting at the firehouse is telling us. <laughs> Crypto coin. Dan, I, I think you'll agree. I think there's there's kind of three there's three things that I kind of see as the uh, the impetus for these giant drops that we see. And those three things are emotion, in no order, particular order here, emotion, leverage, and just misunderstanding of this asset class overall. A lot of new people jumping in, not understanding what you know they're in for, and then getting the rug pulled right out from under them and panicking back out. If you're new, like if you if this is your first cycle invested, every single dip, every single time it cuts off, there's a there's a reason why it did that. There's there's some news headline, there's some theme going around. Like this particular dip, it's selling off because the richest guy in the world or close to the richest guy in the world, Elon Musk, started talking some shit about Bitcoin and Tesla stopped taking Bitcoin. So <clears throat> there likely will be a catalyst and an impetus, but if you're new, you're thinking, and this would be along the lines of the emotion, the first category you mentioned, you're thinking this one's different. No, this one's not the same as the others. This could be a real reversal. This thing could be headed all the way down to the depths. It takes research, it takes understanding, and it takes experience to know that there's nothing unique about these dips. But you have to do that homework to be able to take the emotion out of it because they are significant events. And when you have significant amounts of money invested in this, watching the the, the balance on your account you know, go down by 35% is not fun for anyone. Not at all. I kind of characterize it a little bit differently in my mind when I, it's almost like when Bitcoin gets itself way overextended, when you see these parabolic moves, it makes like we've seen, you know, in the last four months or so, it's gone from around, I think it was around 30 
in on January 1st. And then, it, you know, it doubled to 64, more than doubled. And especially towards the end of that, you were watching just parabolic movement. It was quickly, quickly increasing in price. And the market getting that overextended, you're seeing people take on leverage, take bigger, bigger risks. It doesn't take much to scare the shit out of people that are leveraged up to their eyeballs and something they don't understand. So it's almost like the overextension of the market is just looking for a catalyst. It could be literally nothing sometimes because of just how hyperextended people get with that irrational exuberance into this thing. And I mean, obviously with Elon, people take him very seriously in almost every way. He could topple just about any market if he starts talking shit about it. But this one, because of the massive amount of overextension it had just towards the end there, was just ripe for something. And this was this was just, he lit a match and tossed it into a, a car full of gasoline. And it's been pretty interesting and fun to watch. Even if you have, you know, tremendous conviction behind the utility of Bitcoin and you're catastrophically bullish on where we're going to end up in price, you, you have to admit that at least, you know, midterm, it gets overvalued. Now, I'm not suggesting that a Bitcoin chart is purely linear, but if it if you draw a line up and to the right, there's points when the price is going to be overvalued and there's points when the price is going to be undervalued. And something you hinted on in your last comment, you know, these dips set things up for further movement upward in the sense that if we get overvalued and these corrections happen, we get short-term speculators, leverage traders, they get shaken out. The strong hands buy those coins they let go of. And then essentially the floor, the base of where the price can drop to ratchets up. So it's almost like you you peg up because we can sell, strong hands buy. And then that essentially makes room for new speculation, more newcomers, and then we can test the upper limits again. These dips are, in, even in a bull cycle, you have to have these dips to reestablish where that floor is before you can go up to the next level. Yeah, it's just the market searching, you know, searching for signal and the noise. And I'm looking at the chart from 2017 again, and you can clearly see that. You can see the like 120 day moving average kind of just actually, I think it's the 80 day moving average here. But anyway, it's acting as massive support all the way up. These, these uh, red candles wick down aggressively towards it, bounce off of it, maybe just, you know, barely breach it and then rock it back up. And I mean, rock it like this thing typically has a short period of consolidation and then just resumes. We also have to put in perspective where we are. I, I was looking, to, you know, just crunching some numbers before we started. You know, we already said we're down 35% from an all-time high of 64, but on a one year, we're up 350%. Year to date, we're up 50%. From the last all-time high, we're more than double. I mean, if you zoom out, what's happened this year is incredible, but on a short term, that's where we're calling this a dip. Just something to, just another anecdote here for thinking about how these things usually move. There's usually a period of calm on either end of this kind of volatility. We saw this thing range bound between 50 and 60,000 for quite a long period of time. And then suddenly and catastrophically just shit the bed, massively drop. So what I'd expect to see here is another period of calm where it's range bound between 40 and 50,000 or so. And then make another one of these aggressive movements into the upside. And then, like you said, Dan, it's going to have established a new base and put that peg in and it's going to move its way on up to finish the rest of this bull market. Well, another thing that I'm looking at another chart I pulled up here. 
if you put $100 into Bitcoin, and this is the idea, zoom out, don't panic, think, be rational, not emotional. You never want to invest emotionally. If you put $100 in Bitcoin 10 years ago, you'd have $9.2 million today. (laughs) It's crazy. Most of these other high growth stocks that you'd think of, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, some big tech stocks, Amazon was the next best performer. And we're talking $100 turned into $3,300. Apple was just behind them at $2,400. The outperformance and volatility in this thing works both ways. You can't have that upside without the downside, you know? It's just a double-edged sword, and you've got to be able to withstand it, or you're just going to get shaken out, and you're better off buying Amazon, honestly. like Buy things that you understand so that you can sit on them without panicking. The volatility is the cost of of investing in the most productive, highest-performing asset of the last 10 years and probably of the next 10 years. Like That is the cost. And it is a stressful bull to ride. It's not tame. And it's funny. It's like when you got into Bitcoin and you looked at it a little bit and you saw how volatile it was, you knew you were you were getting on top of a wild animal. And were you expecting it wasn't going to buck you? Yeah. It's a majestic beast, but it bucks you and you have to be ready to hold on tight. And and I think that is an appropriate word to use. Like the cost of investing in Bitcoin is weathering this volatility. Well said. Josh, what are your thoughts on, and this might be an interesting topic to explore for newcomers or long-standing investors. Why do you think Bitcoin is so volatile? Well, I think what we're seeing here is something that we've never really seen before in modern history, which is the monetization of a new asset class. Mm-hmm. And so nobody knows what to expect here. I mean, we've got all these models and predictions and they're getting better over time because we're seeing more history. And this is a very short time frame we're looking at, just 12 years. The expectations can wildly vary because we just have never seen you know, this type of a, an asset monetize or any asset monetize for that matter. Nobody you know, really recorded history when people decided that gold was going to be used as money. There's no book on this. You know? there's, no, mm-hmm. there's nothing to reference. Yeah. We're in a totally uncharted water right now, just trying to reach the shoreline. And we're all doing our best to try to figure it out and grasp at what could happen here, how it's going to happen. And we're taking our best shot at it. And we're using all of these ideas like game theory to kind of gauge where and how we think this thing's going to go. The study of monetary history, game theory, even a little bit of computer science as hard as that might be to understand for a lot of normal people. All of those things can give us a good compass to navigate these waters. And because of how hard this thing is to grok for most people, and I mean myself included, it took me quite a long time to even begin to think I might understand it. And I'm still learning a lot uh, every single day. But I mean, you're going to see human emotion playing out in an asset like this with the volatility that it has. And it just compounds it. And especially when people are taking leveraged bets into a brand new asset class that has got uh, a very short time frame of history to draw upon. It's just, it's just mass confusion and very few people that have given any signal to all of this. I think Bitcoin rewards patience and understanding, and it punishes impulsiveness and emotion. Mm. It, you're right. Initially, when you first discover Bitcoin, it's incredibly complicated and difficult to understand. Ironically, though, 
in my view, it ultimately becomes incredibly simple and obvious to grasp why it's so important. But back to yes. that initial, your initial reaction is this complicated, it's confusing, I don't understand it. So when you're onboarding an enormous number of people during a bull cycle, and many of those individuals don't understand what they're investing in, you're, you're inherently going to get some skittishness. And some one of the three words you mentioned, you're going to get some emotion. Like when people don't understand the logic behind something, they're going to have a propensity to scurry. Mm -hmm. To kind of reframe what you said there, like we we're in the financialization process of a fairly new monetary technology that's vying to be a global store of value, <laughs> and and so the road to being global store of value or even meaningful store of value that's say tens of trillions or even the market cap of gold, let's say 10 trillion, like the road from zero to 10 trillion, that financialization process is going to be up and it's going to be down. Another way to put that is we're at a trillion, but we're still in the infancy of this thing. And so for that reason, it's going to be rough waters. Yeah. I don't expect this thing to level out to be somewhat of a stable asset for quite some long period of time. I mean, even on the arc that we're on, which is pretty incredible adoption as any technology goes. I mean, it took, I can't remember what the S curve looked like for the telephone, but I think it took a good period of 50 years for the telephone to go from a new invention to a somewhat commonly used uh, item in a person's house. Uh, and then the internet took a period of, you know, 15 years maybe before it became a fairly common thing in the first world, at least. And this has gone from a completely fresh new idea that no one's even, uh, I'm, there were a few people thinking about it and playing with it, but the common person like you and me, completely off our radar. To teach people what it is, how it works, and what it means for the world, that S-curve is incredibly short compared to a lot of these other technologies. So it's going to be volatile. And it, the volatility, there are normal everyday price drops and increases in this thing of 10 to 15% in a day. That's a fairly normal occurrence. It, it's crazy though. It is unbelievably volatile. I, I think we'd also be remiss not to mention that there are characteristics and design features of this network and protocol that make it volatile. And uh, the two that come to mind for me are completely inelastic supply this is an asset where as demand increases, there is no more supply that can come online. That's unique. And that is going to create upward and downward volatility. And then secondly, it's completely intervention resistant. So there's no, there's no central bank. There's no government that can artificially prop up or influence the market. I mean, think about all the things that have happened even in the last 15 years that are just totally artificial that blow air underneath a bubble. You have tons of quantitative easing that started after the last recession. I think of 2018 when they started to raise interest rates, the market got dicey and then they immediately lowered them again. Think about 2021 with COVID, huge market crash. And then here comes just massive QE and stimulus money. Point here is there are tools in fiat that can help artificially infuse or inflate markets, and those do not exist in the truly capitalistic realm of Bitcoin. No, they don't. And in a Bitcoinized world, it's going to be very interesting to see in the future how these types of things go. And I suspect that they're going to be extremely volatile events. 
that are going to wick down kind of like Bitcoin does. Honestly, I think that if we saw a market that was running on sound money, where there was no ability for a central bank to have any influence on what's going on at all, I mean, the market would be able to really shake out what's actually going on. Like it would get a fair reading real quick. That's a good thing and a bad thing. It's going to be some really, really horrible pain very quickly for some people. But on the other side of that coin, you have the ability to rebound extremely quickly because all of the parts of the market that were inefficient get flushed out of the system and stronger hands move in, buy those assets and put them to productive work. And so what you'll see overall over the longer period of time, kind of like looking at this Bitcoin chart over 10 years, it's just basically straight up. I think that's what productivity would probably look like in a world like that, because even though there's going to be extremely volatile short-term movement, overall, things are going to run more efficiently because there is signal much more than you have today. There's so much noise today because of the money printing. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Bad ideas, bad decisions are going to get rooted out, which brings me back to one of the words you mentioned earlier on, which is leverage. Talk to me a little bit about where you were going with that as it pertains to dips and dumps. When people talk about leverage in this, it's really as simple as it's just borrowing money to, to invest. And you can do that as aggressively as you want in this crypto market. It's pretty insane. Like they're I know for sure on Binance, there are tools you can use to lever your position 100x. So that means you're putting in you're putting in $1 and you're getting $100 of exposure. So insane. The problem with that, I mean, if if Bitcoin moves up, you're going to get rich extremely quickly. But if it goes down 1%, you are wiped out. Your money is gone. So you can see how easily that can throw massive problems into a market like this that is as volatile as Bitcoin. And that's a function of why Bitcoin is so volatile, because there's so many people out there trying to get rich tomorrow that are just YOLOing in with, you know, their thousand dollar bets with 100x leverage and then getting wiped out. And that's a cascading effect that knocks the price down five thousand dollars in a day. What that's called, it's a margin call when you get wiped out like that. That occurs when an investor's margin account falls below the broker's required amount. So if, like I said, if you're betting 100x, the required amount is is 99%. So if you fall down 1%, you're wiped out. So there's a couple other kinds of markets out there that people are playing in. One of them is an options market. An option market gives the buyer a right to buy or sell an asset at a specific price at any time during the life of the contract. If you, if you get into this stuff at all, you'll hear two different kinds of options, uh, positions you can take. Uh, one side of it is a call option, which means that you're, you're betting the that the price of the asset's going to increase. Gives the buyer the right to buy uh, the underlying security at the exercise price. And a put option is the complete opposite, where you're betting that the price of an asset's going to decrease, and then you make money on that decrease. Then we have futures markets, which are fairly similar. They don't give you the option to buy the op- of the uh, asset. You are obligated to buy it at a specific time in the future at the price you agree on. People that use these markets generally do it with leverage as well. So you're taking a bet on a specific time in the future with leverage. Margin calls in these in these markets can be very, very extreme and wipe out tons of people in a cascading effect in either direction. So that's why we see Bitcoin moving up 10, 15% in a day. Because what you're seeing is a whole bunch of these leveraged traders getting wiped out all at the same time. 
the emotional aspect in it obviously feeds in when retail traders watch their account drop 10 to 15% in a day or even 30 to 40% like we're seeing right now. And the, uh, the retail traders start panicking and they sell, causing further cascading in these uh, derivatives markets. And you know it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. This thing just feeds itself all the way up or all the way down. Yeah, that's a great picture you painted of how this thing unravels. We're in an, you know, we'll call it an overvalued scenario. And you have retail emotion and then retail and professional leverage causing liquidation or massive selling. That's a good point. I didn't think to frame it like that. The retail people are usually taking leverage on something like Binance, where they just buy a derivative that's built for them by Binance. And if you haven't been on there, they make it real easy. So easy that people that have no idea how it works are doing it, which is dangerous because they don't understand how easy it is to lose all their money in this stuff. Whereas the CME, Chicago Board of Exchange, they have futures contracts for Bitcoin where generally professionals are using this. So they hedge their bets. And hedging your bet means you take both sides of a trade so that if uh, one side loses, you quickly sell the other and ride your profits on that way. That's a a much safer profile of a bet because you're going to protect yourself either way. But most of the retailers who are taking these kinds of things, they're sending it all on massive leverage and then getting wiped out. And and they're making it even more volatile with their misunderstanding of how these things work. I have a feeling that there are a lot of noobs getting absolutely torched on leverage this this bull bull cycle and in and this dip in particular and I haven't verified this by doing any research but I, I was just sitting here thinking through where the price is gone we went up to 64 and then we retested 50 if I remember right and then we worked back up okay so I think and so to put it in context right now we're at 42 so we go up to 64 we retested 50 we got what looked like confirmation that that was the floor, and then it started moving back up. And I think my gut tells me, this isn't a very bold statement, it's pretty obvious, but a lot of people levered up at, at that 50 mark. They waited for downward confirmation, and then they levered up at 50,000, think we were heading up to the moon. Yep. And then you know, you get a ton of people, both retail and professional investors, levered up at that 50,000 mark. Well, when you breach below 50, you don't just go to 49. You go a ways down. That's how it works when all these people get liquidated. Yeah. And it's also a function of people pretending they're technical analysts and even professional technical analysts. They, I, I can't tell you how many articles I read where they're, you know, they were sure that when this thing retested 50 and bounced off, like, all right, this is the time to load up your levered logs because this thing's going. That's the inherent problem with all of these technical analysts and all of these people, even the on-chain analysts got this wrong because none of them could have predicted the total wild card that Elon Musk is and that he was going to come out and shoot himself right in the foot, you know, with something that he holds himself. It just doesn't make sense, you know, in a lot of ways, but you couldn't predict that with technical analysis. And this thing has surprised so many people so many times. I'm a big believer that technical analysis is akin to voodoo or witchcraft in a lot of ways. But uh, I mean, it, maybe it works and gives you a better edge on the market most of the time. But that one time that you decide like, this is it, I'm sending it and it, you're wrong, you're you're wiped out. I think the lesson here that we would both like to deliver to the audience is stop fucking around with derivatives, leverage and trading. 
just buy spot or dollar cost average into this thing. It's that simple. Like when you trade, this is true of any any trading. Most of the time it's going to look like you're winning until that one time out of 10 when you're not and everybody remembers their wins and forgets their losses just like they do in the casino and then they scratch their head 10 years later wondering how in the hell did I underperform so much. Yeah, and you know what else they don't do or think about or ever talk about? is their after-tax winnings. I mean, that's a massive consideration in my mind, especially. Like, I'm not going to say I would never trade, but the fact that I know the second I pull a trade off, I better hope that Bitcoin drops another 25% <laughs> because if it doesn't, then I lost. That's not, a, that's not a bet I'm willing to take. I heard Jimmy Song say last week, to trade shit coins and win, you have to outperform Bitcoin by 40%. <laughs> Good luck. That's crazy yeah. to think about. Yeah, and that's a that's such an uphill battle. It's it's just crazy to try to do something like that. I mean, you're going to outperform outperform an asset that, on average, over the last twelve years, has done two hundred percent annually. I mean, you're going to have to take some massive, irresponsible bets with leverage on shit that is very probably going to go bust. As you've said to me before, it's like picking pennies up in front of a steamroller. Get the yeah. hell out of the way. Let the crack and feed. And this is not recommended advice, by the way. I just want to send this is a this is a Michael Saylor adage. If you're gonna take leverage with something like this, use leverage that is not marked to market. You basically can't get margin called on, is what I'm saying. So if you're gonna go take out a personal loan to buy Bitcoin, in my mind, that would be far superior to taking a leverage bet in the derivatives market in some ways because you can't get margin called. You can if you can afford the payments on that loan, you're fine. You're not going to get pushed out and you can sit on it long enough to be, to remain profitable hopefully. That is I think a superior method to try to take leverage on something like this because you're not going to get forced out. For sure. Yeah, especially with something that's this volatile. Yeah, that's a great comment by Sailor. That's totally true. Man, that guy is a gold mine. That's exactly what he's done, too. I mean, he's done it with almost 0% interest on the loans he's taken, which is insane. And when you think about it from the other side of the trade, all of these guys are fixed income investors who couldn't get exposure to Bitcoin. So if they wanted exposure, they've got now convertible bonds in a company micro strategy that can be turned into their stock at any time. And maybe there's some language in the contract that specifies when. But they get all of the upside of Bitcoin. And if Bitcoin shits the bed, goes to zero, they still have bonds held on a company that is profitable and should be good on its money. So, I mean, it's kind of a tails I win, heads I win at the same time. You tied, you, see, you used the word misunderstanding too earlier. So the three words, emotion, leverage, misunderstanding. Walk me through the misunderstanding yeah. piece. The misunderstanding in my mind is simply educating yourself on this, just making sure that when you take a position in Bitcoin, that you understand it's an extremely volatile asset, number one, and that whatever position you're taking, you don't plan on taking out of this market for five years at minimum. Know that it has to be a long-term placement of your money. Uh, and you should understand how this thing works fundamentally. You should understand why it's important for the world. You should understand philosophically the ideas behind this thing. You should understand why and how it matters you should just understand in and out how this thing works so that you don't panic sell when Elon Musk says that Bitcoin is dog shit 
and Dogecoin matters and Dogecoin is going to go to $2 or whatever he says, you have to understand why that is not true and why it can't be true. When he says something ignorant like Bitcoin is not decentralized, you should know right away that that's nonsense. Because if you can't identify that, that's yeah. going to persuade you to immediately back out of your trade and probably lose your money. So understanding is essential in this because it is such a new asset class, so misunderstood by so many people. You know That is a massive contributor to this kind of volatility. And if you're going to be able to protect yourself in something like this, you better understand it better than most. If a 30% cutoff or whatever the percentage is, if something is freaking you out, that's not unprecedented. I mean, what's happening right now is is completely normal if you studied the history of Bitcoin. But if it's freaking you out, I think it's an indicator and a recommendation that you just go do some more research. And that, that doesn't mean that you're going to conclude Bitcoin is for you. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're freaking out, you can't sleep at night and you're thinking about panic selling or you did panic sell, go learn more about Bitcoin is one of my biggest recommendations. It's these dips that show you, are you just in this because you're interested in price going up or do you have long-term conviction, understanding and grasp on the potential use case? If you're freaking out, maybe it's time to get some meat on the bone of your investment. You know, Read some Breedlove, listen to some Michael Saylor, yep, crack exactly. open the Bitcoin standard and seek out some counter counter arguments. Don't just be in the cacophony of the group think. Like spend some time digging into this and then if it's not for you, exit. If it is for you, learn how to hodl. I can't tell you how many times when dips like this happen and you know, you everybody nobody wants to admit it, but everybody gets a little shaken. You go back to the things not that Not Josh. Josh, you don't get <laughs> Yeah, shaken. except me, of course not. No, not anymore. I'm hardened. But it, Dan is exactly right. Go back to the things that inspired you. Go back to the things that really helped you learn how this thing works and the people that really put out the solid ideas in the space. And just go back and reread that stuff and listen to the podcast that inspired you. It'll definitely help settle you to, to just make sure that you kind of reiterate to yourself, what is this thing about? Why, why am I invested in this? And how is this going to change the world? And how am I going to contribute to it? And like Dan said, is I totally agree that you should expose yourself to counter arguments. Mike Green is a great counter arguer in this. Very intelligent guy. Has a lot of shit to talk about Bitcoin. And I read everything he has to say because I don't discount his opinions. I think that he has got a lot of intelligence behind most of his arguments, but I don't disregard them is what I'm trying to say. You have to expose yourself to both sides for sure. I follow a whole lot of people on Twitter that are uh, against Bitcoin for that exact reason. Because I'm waiting for maybe that one piece that is going to really uh, irk me and really bother me so I can hopefully find a way to make sense of it and, and sort it all out for myself. But you got to go back to first principles again and understand what's underlying all of this and why would I invest in it. And if you're still not getting sleep at night, bring your position size down until you can. Mm. That's my That's my advice. Yeah, you your allocation may be too large if you can't. I mean, this is a controversial statement for some listeners that are just all in here. But if yeah, if if you can't handle these dips and dumps, your position size just may be too large based on your understanding of what's going on. Yeah, or you're just personality type or you know, risk aversion. You know, some people just are not built to watch their portfolio drop 25% in a day. Totally understandable. It's not easy for anybody. 
but uh, it gets easier as you watch it happen multiple times. I can tell you that for sure. For me, you know, what I go back to is, and we'll do a whole episodes on this, but there there are a list of things that could occur in Bitcoin that would concern me. One wealthy guy tweeting is not one of them. Not not in the least. For me, I'm I, I take a step back and I go, okay, let's get back to the fundamentals here. Nodes across the globe are increasing every single day coming online. Hash rate is going up consistently. We're at all-time highs on hash rate. There's no compromise or concern with the underlying code protocol. The network effect has showed tremendous resiliency in the past and has exploded over even the last few months. Everything's intact in the macro backdrop with the amount of fiat debasement. I could keep going. The point is all the boxes I need checked that indicate to me this thing is an absolute juggernaut that could take a massive bite at the global economy, all those things are still checked. But it, it takes some research and some personalization of your investments and your portfolio to be able to reach these conclusions. And I, I think it's an important time to mention hodling is easier said than done. If Bitcoin gets to, let's say, a million dollars, it's not an easy road to go from now till then. There are going to be many, many people that get shaken out of this investment that thought they never would leave. Sitting on this asset in any meaningful position is incredibly hard. You know what's really going to piss me off in 10 years is when people say, yeah, he got lucky. Getting lucky is really hard. No, weathering these storms is you got to batten down the hatches and you got to go back to, like you said, first principles and basics of why you're interested in this. And if it's just number go up, you are not going to hold your Bitcoin. I mean, we're going to, it's so, having been around for like 40 years now, at least for me, you've been in longer, Josh. It's hilarious to listen back to everyone that had Bitcoin at some point in the past. It's laughable, but also obnoxious. Like, I mean, there's just so many, oh, yeah, I had Bitcoin at such and such. I had Bitcoin at such and such. Like, cool, dude. So did so many other people. You said this to me once when I felt like I was entering the market way late and way overpriced. You told me, it's not about when you buy, Dan. It's about when you sell. And that is totally, totally true. Funny story uh, about somebody who offloaded Bitcoin at a time when obviously wasn't fortuitous for that person now. I was at the hospital, brought a patient in, and I'm bullshitting in the medic room with another medic from another town. He tells me, we, we strike up a conversation Thank about Bitcoin. Thank you for your service, Josh, by the way. Yeah, you're welcome. He tells me that, I think he said in 2013, which would make sense, his brother-in-law sold four Bitcoins to buy a brand new keyboard for his computer. That's a $200,000 keyboard at this point. And uh, I'm kind of glad Tesla stopped taking Bitcoins for Teslas because it's just going to be those poor bastards in 10 years that say, all I bought was a fucking Tesla with 1.2 Bitcoins. Oh, speaking of, I'm just thinking about buying something with Bitcoin. Did you hear that Pomp is starting a, uh, a pizza business? Did you <laughs> see that today? Pizza. Yeah. yeah. I love that idea, man. It's a decentralized pizza business. That Did dude you- is just a savage go-getter. I mean, Anthony Pompliano's schedule blows my mind. I mean, he puts out a daily letter on top of 800,000 other things he's up to. He's on Twitter constantly. He's got a podcast. He's has his own investment firm. I mean, what in the hell? This dude's got a twin. He has like five brothers. Do you see that? He's got all of his brothers on Twitter now. They're all piggybacking on what he does. It's fucking hilarious. Love it. God bless that guy, man. 
What are some other recommendations we have, Josh, for like, let's get, let's get some practicality here. So if you're, if you're freaking out, what do you do? I've found, and I think this is true for most people, I buy and I sell at the worst fucking time possible. I buy at the top and I sell at the bottom because that's how most people are wired emotionally. I have found that if you can pick that emotion out of yourself and say, what is the complete opposite of what I feel like doing right now and do the opposite (laughs) of it, it almost always works out well. It's hard to do. It's damn near impossible, to be honest with you. I've managed to do it a few fortuitous times for myself. I'm getting better at it. And this might age very badly, but I just bought some Bitcoin at 43,300 a couple days ago. So did I. It wasn't a significant amount, but it was what I could afford at the time because I've basically turned myself into a pauper trying to buy more at this point. Yeah, I that is the hardest thing to do. And then when you know it's when it was at 64,000, everything in me wanted to fucking buy more. Everything. But if I was a trader, that would have been the time to sell, obviously. On these kinds of dips, I generally try to buy on dips like 10 to 15%. I'll always throw some bucks at it, some cuck bucks. But other than that, the best advice I have, just dollar cost average, man. Just send, go to Swan, set up a $5 a day dollar cost average or whatever is a reasonable amount of money that you can afford. You can avoid that Starbucks coffee for the day and you can send that five bucks to the Kraken. 10 years from now, you're going to be thanking yourself that you didn't make Starbucks richer. How about you, Dan? Buy dips. Agree completely. I mean, obviously, you're not going to time them all right, but that's that's an, a general investing principle. Like if you've done your homework, if you have conviction behind an allocation or an asset, buy it when other people are selling it. It's a pretty simple principle that I've done, not just with Bitcoin, but I do that with all my investments, particularly you know my equity allocation. I'll buy mutual funds when other people are selling them if I think obviously they have long-term upside potential. And then yeah, DCA. Like I think that's probably the the best way to invest in Bitcoin. Just buy repeatedly day after day or month after month or week after week and uh turn your brain off to the timing and just stay committed to to investing over the long term. And then I think I would go back to something we spent some time talking about earlier, which is just these are great moments to do some research because when the price is just straight vertical and parabolic, every single thing you read about Bitcoin, you're saying, yes, yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're just straight Kool-Aid man busting through the living room Mm -hmm. wall. Oh Mm -hmm. yeah. But when the price is going down, you don't have that same emotional tie and confirmation bias. Like It's a really good time to read some articles, read some books, do some thinking, meditate on this. Like I said, read some counter arguments and really make a decision. Is this something you believe in or not? I believe me that, you know, the old, it's been said before, friends don't let friends sell Bitcoin. And I do feel that way. I don't want anyone to sell their Bitcoin. But if you're not ready to ride this beast, then dismount. You heard dismount. it from Dan. Dismount. Like if you're not, if you can't do this, if you don't think there's anything behind this, then then get off the 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 animal. But if you if you believe in this thing, ratchet the strap down a notch and get ready to enter the ring at the rodeo. To go from here to where we think this could go is going to take some tremendous self-control, but it is going to be worth the ride. So what I think Dan and I are both saying, buy when there's blood in the streets. As we've both said, I think multiple times now, a couple of things, 
take a breath, listen to the masters, have a low time preference, learn everything you can, and buy the fucking dip. On a personal level, you would agree, Josh, neither one of us are immune to the emotion and the twinges that come with these cutoffs. Like the price going up exponentially is a lot more fun than it cutting back. But, you know, I was thinking and I was reading some of these letters that have come out that I subscribe to by on-chain analysts like Willie Wu or Will Clemente third. I read both of their letters this week. It really does appear like the, this bull market, this 2021 bull market is still completely intact. And a lot of the on-chain metrics are showing that. But what I was sort of thinking about, and this was a more of a personal question for myself, is what's going to happen to my conviction if it if the bull market is over? I don't think it is. I don't think there's really much evidence pointing to the fact that it's done. I think we're going a lot higher. But if we are done, and if we've reached the top, we're headed back to the bottom, and we're not going to see another all-time high until the next halving, that's sort of the idea or the reality that I'm playing out in my head. Like, what does that do to my allocation, my conviction? And that's where I personally have to go back to what are those core motivations of why I'm investing? And does even a one-year or a four-year time horizon change my long-term conviction? And I think based on the homework I've done, my answer is an overwhelming no. Just like we saw with Musk, complete unpredictability. I'm very comfortable assuming... Let's just assume that 64000 was the top. If we're going to follow what's happened in the past here, we'd expect an 80% drop from there. And that would take us down to just off the top of my head, no accuracy in the math here, but that's probably ten dollars to $12,000. I would be completely comfortable with that. I would have no problem riding my particular portfolio down to that level. And um, that's just a product of a low time preference, understanding that at any moment, the macro backdrop here could turn this into something that would be would completely negate anything about four-year having cycles and all of that stuff. That is, I mean, that is a narrative that we're all kind of watching at this point. But the narrative that matters in the scheme of things here is the narrative about every central bank in the entire world printing trillions of dollars, having printed $25 trillion last year with no sign of abatement. I am not comfortable whatsoever releasing an, an investment that I think is the premium thing to own when every currency in the world is being debased at an increasingly exponential rate. The downside is well worth risking in order to attain the upside that is theoretically possible here. Yeah. And I, I, while you were talking, I pulled up the chart from the last bull run in 2017. If you exit during these cutoffs, you run some massive risk of missing out on most of the upside. Okay. So for example, 2017, so we're in a 35% dip right now. It's really, you'd agree, this is really the second major dip of this bull cycle. I would agree with that. Yeah. I think the last one was like 29%. Second or third, some may say three, I'm saying two of this cycle, and there were seven in the last cycle. So the first 38% dip on the way up to $20,000 was at 600 and it looks like it made it to about $700 it dipped down to. <laughs> that was a 38% cutoff. And then the next huge one, there was a 38% cutoff that went down to $1,900. There was a 30% cutoff that went down to $5,500. And then we eventually made it almost up to 20. So if you, I mean, if you exited at those points, you missed out on most of the 
upside of the bull market. And to top that off, here are so there's seven dips that occurred of of 30% or more. Here's what they did following the drawback. 138 106%, 216%, 217%, 238%. So you hinted at this earlier in the episode, but sure, could 64 have been the top? Absolutely. But could this be ushering in a huge moon move up towards 100? That's a possibility as well. Yeah, it's hard to say, and we can't tell anyone for sure because we don't know, but if I'm a betting man on this one, I'm going to say this is a pretty severe dip and we will resume this thing. I would suspect the resumption here is going to take place when the ETF is approved in the US. Hmm. That's my assumption or just my thoughts on how I think this might play out. And it might take a while. Elon Musk is a very influential character. He really stuck a knife right through the ribs here. So I think that we could see some sideways consolidation for quite some time before we see any real substantial movements. I mean, that could that's just my gut suspicion here. Could be completely wrong. We might see this thing go up 50% tomorrow. For I mean, who knows? It's Bitcoin. It's crazy. But uh, when this ETF happens, I think we're going to see some substantial movements to the upside. Whole slew of entrants will gain access to this class when that is approved in the United States. Yeah. I, I don't know if you saw this, Dan, but ARK and, uh, had doubled down on their assessment of Bitcoin being good for the environment for the way, for the uh, reasons they enumerated in that uh, paper they did with Cash App or Square. They kind of spelled out in like an eight-page fairly academic paper about the reasoning why Bitcoin could be influenced, could positively influence energy's environmental impact in the future because it incentivizes clean energy by giving miners an incentive to look for the cheapest power, which is renewable. They called out the Musk. They did. They did. And I don't think Musk responded. I did see another tweet that uh, this guy's suspicion, which I didn't think of and is a pretty solid suspicion on some level. Uh, one of Tesla's avenues for profit in the future is to sell their batteries to people for storing solar power at their homes and businesses. That might be negated by Bitcoin being another avenue to wa- to expend wasted energy. Instead of storing it in batteries, you'd simply mine Bitcoin profitably. So why would you buy batteries when you can send the energy that you're just going to waste otherwise to Bitcoin mining? Yeah. A lot of these renewable projects may harness Bitcoin mining as the buyer of really any resort instead of storing in futuristic batteries that can hold more than they can today. Dan, have you heard of some of these people out there that are using Bitcoin miners to heat water in their homes? No. (laughs) Yeah. There's people out there that are turning water heaters, like basically making a Bitcoin miner into a water heater or heating their sauna. Uh, Just a whole bunch of ingenuitive ways to harness all the wasted heat from uh, some of these miners. It's pretty hilarious. Some of the rude Goldberg machines. The oppor- the opportunities from this for this thing from a energy standpoint are mind-blowing. You might be able to buy a hot tub in the future that also mines <laughs> Bitcoin for you. <laughs> I would buy that hot tub. Hell yeah. My little shitcoiner over here is making me, uh, it's, it's made me at 336,000 sats in just over a month. That thing's heating your right leg, too, if I have your uh, basement visualized accurately. It sure is. It's spitting out some heat. I was thinking about buying a couple more of them and heating my basement with them. What's it mining right now? ETH and something else? Yeah, it's still doing ETH and Monero. 
it holds ether for three seconds too long. Yeah, sure does. Actually, it gets paid every four hours, so it holds ETH for four hours too long. Shame. It's a crying shame. What do you say we end this thing, Josh? Yeah, I think it's a good time to do it. Three takeaways, ladies and gentlemen. Dollar cost average into Bitcoin. Buy the fucking dip and do your homework. Thanks for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts. And if you have time, leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at blue underscore collar BTC. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast.